Welcome to The Way Home Podcast, a conversation about church, community, and culture. I'm your host, Dan Darling, here in Nashville, Tennessee. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by my good friend, Darren Patrick, who is the founder and senior pastor of The Journey, a church in St. Louis, Missouri. The Journey has six locations in the St. Louis area and has planted seven churches since 2002. Darren is the vice president of the X29 Church Planning Network, as well as a chaplain to the St. Louis Cardinals. We'll talk to Darren about his uh, brand new book, The Dude's Guide to Manhood, which really helps walk uh, men through what it is to be a good husband and father. And then we'll talk also about some of the work he's done there in St. Louis uh, in Ferguson on racial reconciliation, bringing people together across the divide, uh, and an important interview he did with Ben Watson, uh, NFL player who has spoken out uh, on racial reconciliation in the church. Before we begin our conversation with Darren, however, I want to remind you about a resource we have here at the ERLC called The Weekly. Uh, this is a quick but informative email that you'll get once a week, kind of collating and curating stories from around the news and offering some opinion from a Christian perspective. I know many of us are busy. We have a lot of things on our plate, a lot of things going on, and don't have time to read and absorb all the news. This is just kind of a one email, give you about 15, 20 minutes to to scan through it and get updated on what is going on in the world. You can sign up for the weekly by visiting my website, danieldarling.com, and clicking on the link there. But for now, let's join our conversation with Darren Patrick. Well, got my friend Darren Patrick here joining me on the Way Home Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Great to be here. So I want to talk about your book, The Dude's Guide to Marriage. But before we do that, I would be remiss if we didn't talk Cubs Cardinals. I think most people know that uh, you're a diehard Cardinals fan and team chaplain there in St. Louis, and I'm a Cubs fan. So this is the gospel bringing people from all kinds together, huh? Yeah, but here's the deal, man. I'm not like one of those guys that hates Cubs fans. Like half my, I'm from Illinois, so half my family are Cubs fans. Yeah. Um, and but you know, and and uh, you know, we finally have a rivalry. I mean, you guys <laughs> got your act together and and you know beat us last year, and and yeah. uh, so I mean, it's, it's a lot of it's. Be- I, I say it's better when the Cubs are good. Like I yes. think the whole, I think baseball's better. I think. Uh, you know, it just makes everything better. So yeah. we're excited about the next few years. Yeah, and I think for me, you know, we don't win World Series. So for me, sweeping the Cardinals in the playoffs was was pretty awesome. Yeah, and it's that, like the World Series. Yeah, it was. And then this offseason, you know, getting Hayward, that was just kind of sweet, you know. Uh, yeah. So we'll we'll see what happens. But it should be fun. Let me ask you this about uh, – I know you're, you're team chaplain for the Cardinals, and um, I think a lot of people kind of have a – perspective of what they think major league ball players are like you see them up close and personal in your mind what is what is one of the biggest misconceptions that just kind of ordinary people have about you know professional athletes well i think it's you know i think there's a couple of things i think there's a there's a mentality that people have towards wealthy people in general that uh-huh. is wrong and that is that you know that money solves most of your problems mm-hmm that's my favorite hip hop song. Mo, mo money, mo problems. That's the truth. <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't matter, you know, if you're an athlete, a business person, a, an artist, whatever. Mm-hmm. Your money, more money actually creates more problems. So I think that is that is a misconception. And then I think just this is kind of a weird one to say, but like I think people really believe that athletes are like for their team 
or they're, you know, that like they're, that they're really like about their team. And, and, and I, and I don't mean like they're not supportive of the team. They're not mm-hmm. a part of the community, but at the end of the day, uh, just as when, you know, mo- many of us work in for, for corporations or, mm-hmm. or businesses at the end of the day, you know, uh, when it stops working for us in that in that situation, either we're not growing or there's a better offer, mm-hmm. we're gonna take it. Like, yeah. and I think that people just have this mentality, and then we get all offended when people leave. Like you mentioned the Hayward thing. Yeah. Like, you know, I know I know Jason, and I know that he wrestled with that decision, and mm-hmm. you know, it's a better he he believed it was a better situation. So yeah. I, I just think that we 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 try to make these guys like these. Um, like we are, like fans of the team. They're really not. They're trying to provide for their families. They're trying to mm-hmm. uh, look at uh, what, what's going to help them win. Uh, not all of them are like that, but a lot of them are like that. And then I think the other one would just be, man, they just, that we don't think they're real people. Mm. They, we think they're some kind of superhero. And I, I you know, I, I can just testify that they are extremely ordinary mm-hmm. people with, with struggles, much like we have, and even more so because of. Uh, the reality of fame and and money. Well, I mean, now being a celebrity might be as hard as it's ever been just with social media and just, you know, dealing with sort of crazy people on social media and all the pushback you get. I mean, I I would think like in the old days, you know, you would get letters, right? And someone at the team would filter those so you wouldn't get the nastiest stuff. Well, today, like, you know, if you look at your at mentions on Twitter, if you're an athlete, I mean, it's pretty bad. Oh, yeah. Well, and many of our guys are, are not even on that mm. platform, mm. Uh, those platforms. Or if they, or if they do, they don't have it on their phone, so yeah. they're not tempted. Yeah. Which might be a good discipline for a lot of us, but yeah. they, they, they just, they just kind of insulate themselves so that they're not, you know, exposed to some of that nonsense. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, can you imagine? Man. I mean, yeah. Every every time you did a podcast or oh. wrote an article or like. Yeah. All these people line up to judge your motives yeah. and, and like yeah. question your work ethic. And I mean, it's crazy, man. Yeah, it is. Well, listen, I want to talk about this book, The Dude's Guide to Marriage. And you sort of have this this series and, and brand with The Dude's Guide, which I really, really like. And first of all, how did you sort of come up with this concept and this idea? What what was kind of going on in your life and your ministry that was a catalyst for this? Well, here, here's what I see. Um, you either have in in um, in resources, uh, Christian resources. You either have kind of just like the uh, you know popular, you know self helpy, mm-hmm. you know almost uh, psychology with Christian words genre, and then you and then on on kind of the other side, you have the the, the more thoughtful, uh, you know, reformed. Um, and, mm-hmm. and usually pretty dense and, and, and not super accessible for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, normal people who don't read a ton. And what I tried to do is to bring my theological framework um, and understanding uh, to the common mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to you know, put the cookies on the low shelf, I like to say, just like, man, you know, you can consume this uh, material and I'm going to make it super uh, easy for you to do that so that you're not, um, you know, clueless about, you know, what God says, because you're, you're, it's always cloaked in words that you don't understand. And so the dude's guy, it's just like the every man, the dude, mm-hmm. the dude is every yeah. man, like every, every uh, guy that is struggling, you know, most guys, um, they don't read more uh, mm-hmm. than one or two books a year. 
Uh, many don't read any. Mm-hmm. Uh, most most guys are not um, certainly not going to read a book uh, with relationship to uh, anything about you know their own develop their own like character. They're going to read leadership books or or some self help stuff or um, you know business stuff or or something you know some some novel that is. Uh, attached to their hobby or, or whatever, but they're not going to read something that's like about their character. And so that's where the series kind of, uh, the genesis of it mm. came from. You know, it strikes me as very pastoral because I, I have the same thoughts that you do that, you know, you and I are, you're kind of swimming in the, you know, theological evangelical world. We're reading a lot. We're, we're working in ministry. We're getting paychecks from Christian ministries. And, but you know, when I, when I go to my church and I'm talking to just average, ordinary Christians who are good people and faithful and want to serve Christ and want to be good husbands and fathers, you know, they're working from a just sort of different framework. They're working, you know, it's the truck driver that's working 70 hours a week and, or the, you know, the, the guy that owns a small business and he doesn't have, he's not reading, you know, everything Tim Keller puts out or, or whatever. And so I, I like the tone of this as it's very pastoral, like, Hey, he doesn't look, know who Tim Keller is, right? He, he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't know. And, uh, you know, it's just pastoral saying here. You know, let me let me put my arm around you and say here's some some tips on being a good father and a good husband. And so, what are two or three of of the common um, kind of struggles that men in in your church and, in, and that you've discipled are facing that you're trying to help with this book? Yeah, I think I think in general, uh, men struggle with communication. So mm-hmm. we don't know how to listen to our wives. And we don't know how to talk to our wives. Mm-hmm. So we, we don't really um, have um, an understanding of, you know, what it means to be about, okay, I, I am here uh, with my wife. I am present with her. I'm able to uh, not try to shut down her ideas. And at the same time, I, I, I want to... Uh, exercise appropriate leadership in you know our marriage. They, they just don't know how to do that. They don't they don't know how to you know participate uh, <laughs> with their wife in in just basic things like talking about their emotions and, and talking about you know how they see the future. And so I really try to the first two chapters really are and all the chapter titles are just super simple. It's like listen, talk, fight, serve. All, all these just simple like you know. You finish the chapter, and it, it tells you how to do this specific thing that's going to help your marriage. So I think communication is huge. Uh, I think another thing is we don't know how to do conflict, and so that's mm. related to communication, but we don't know how to fight. I mean, the reality is you get married, you're going to fight. The biggest concern uh, that I have when I'm counseling a couple is when they say, oh, we don't fight. I'm like, there's a problem here. because <laughs> yeah, every, I mean, you just should. I mean, Christian community... There's why, there's why these, uh, yeah. there, are all, there are all these admonitions in the New Testament about getting along together and mm-hmm. loving each other. Why? Because it's not you know, when you really get close <laughs> to each other, you're going to fight. Yeah, yeah. So well, conflict. It, yeah. Um, and then I think the other, the other piece is, is, is really around the area of spiritual leadership. I don't think husbands really know what it looks like uh, to bring their wives along and help them mature I think it's very easy for, for husbands to just say, you know what, um, we, we go to church, she's got her women's Bible study, uh, thank God for Beth Moore, and, you know, good luck with that. We don't, we don't know really what it looks like to participate in spiritual life 
uh, with our wives. Mm. So I try to really get practical on the, um, in that area to help uh, guys who really want to but don't know how. Mm-hmm. And when I'm hearing you talk, I'm thinking that a lot of men probably want to be spiritual leaders in their home but might be intimidated by the prospect of it. You know, and we use, you know, in Christian communities, you know, ministry, a lot of big words that make sense to us, like discipleship and things, that to a, a Christian man who's a, a layperson who's coming to church is just kind of intimidated, thinking, well, I haven't gone to seminary, I don't know how to do this. You seem to break down some of those barriers. Yeah, because, I mean, at the end of the day, what are we talking about? Okay, we're, we're talking about praying. We're talking about reading scripture and talking to each other about it. We're talking about serving together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about, you know, just relating all of life to our, you know, our worldview. And so it, it, it's not super, co- we're, we're doing all those things anyway, for the most part. Uh, mm-hmm. We just don't know how to do that with our wives. And so I think the, 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 the practical, like just help I give is just, Man, don't overcomplicate this thing. Don't yeah. don't believe that you've got to. Now you hear some guy say, "Well, I, my wife and I pray together for you know thirty minutes every day," and every guy goes, "I'm out because I can't yeah. do that." Like that's insane. Mm-hmm. Well, it it is insane for a lot of us. We don't start there, but I mean, just a mm-hmm. simple thing like me and my wife do. I mean, we have had a horrible time uh, being consistent in our prayer time together, other than the you know saying a prayer before our meal at night with our kids. Mm-hmm. But like just us, it's just been a barrier. And so I just said, man, we're going to just pray at night. Like we're just going to pray right before we go to bed. We're going to like, thank God for our day. We're going to, you know, preview the next day and, and ask him to, but I mean, it's, it's not complicated. Like it's, it's super simple. It's like you do a Bible reading program and you just kind of talk about what you're learning. It doesn't have to be like this intense study with, uh, you know, Greek words and, 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 you know, big theological concepts that what, what are you learning? Let's talk about it. And, and the key is to start somewhere. Like it, it like if, if it's just that we go, you know, we're going to nail this prayer thing for one month together for five mm-hmm. minutes. Like we're, we're going to actually read a verse and talk about it once a week. I mean, it doesn't have to, you don't have to go all the way into the deep end. You can mm-hmm. wait in uh, and, and get to where you need to be. That to me is just part of, you know, pastors shepherding and, and knowing where their people are and leading them leading them along. And, and that's what I, I really love about the, the tone of this book. I want to talk a little bit about some of the work you've done on racial reconciliation. Uh, just, I think you've been a really good, you know, model in terms of a pastor who who has engaged in this, in this you know, discussion that we're having in America, uh, particularly starting with Ferguson. You led some roundtables, right, sort of in the middle of that that happening, and then um, did a great interview with uh, with Ben Watson, the, uh, the tight end that wrote wrote a book. But first of all, just talk about what you as a pastor are thinking when you're when you're when you're seeing this sort of happening near your your church in in that community, and how you're trying to lead your people and also be a leader in the community. Yeah, I mean the Ferguson thing changed uh, our city forever. Mm-hmm. I mean. And, and it wasn't like, oh my gosh, this happened. It was like everybody, it exposed really the realities of, of racism in our city and, and not necessarily the, the incident because the officer was cleared. And, and so it's not about the, that's what, that's what's hard for people. It's like they get it, they just myopically focus on the incident on both sides. But really all that did was expose the fact that 
our our city is radically segregated residentially uh and there's economic you know lines that run through all of that but for us it was just like man you know we have to respond like we we already have a, a multi-ethnic church we have a minority leadership not as much as we want but we're working towards that and have been and all that did was just basically um confirm to us and show us and uh, that man, you you can't just go back to business as usual on this thing. Mm-hmm. This is gonna, you know, force conversations. And at the end of the day, I mean, we make this. You know, my big gripe is, you know, we make everything more complicated. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, life is already complicated. Mm-hmm. So you basically give yourself an excuse not to do anything because your mind is, well, that's too complicated. I got too much going on. Well, here's racial reconciliation in a nutshell: it's relationships. Mm-hmm. And so. The big take home for us and the thing that's really changed our church over this last year since Ferguson has been we challenge people to sit down across the dinner table with one another with someone who does not share their skin color. Mm-hmm. That has changed our church in such profound ways. And it's so simple. Like anybody can do it. We live in a nation now where uh, in every, almost everywhere a person lives, uh, there is someone who's not like them. And mm-hmm. They can actually practice this, and it may not be a dinner, although I highly recommend a dinner, but I mean, I think it could be coffee, it could be mm-hmm. just conversations, waiting to pick your kids up from school, but where we're learning from each other, and I, I just I just think that is a simple way for Christians to engage race, and it, it it's it's simple, but it's powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and why is it, I mean, the thing that I was really lamenting during some of these conversations is, you know, we're still really pretty tribal in the American church. And, you know, we kind of hang out with people who are our kind. And, you know, how can churches like your church, like you were doing, and, and somewhat courageously, I'm sure you got a lot of flack for it, just to say, hey, you know, have have lunch with someone that's different than, than you or, or build relationships. Why are we so tribal and why is that so hard for us to do in the American church? Well, I think it's, you know, I think, you know, they've done all kinds of studies on this. And this is where, you know, on both sides of the issue, people like, you know, uh, we human beings in general like to be around people who are like them. Mm. Right. And and a lot of times what is called divert, like you may have a and, and this is a lot of churches. And this is this was our situation. Actually, we had a ton of monocultural ethnic diversity. So mm-hmm. we had a ton of minorities who were culturally the same in that they were educated, you know, they, they shared certain political views as, as you know, the leadership did. So we were like, Hey, we're doing great on this diversity thing, but we weren't really reaching people who, you know, weren't in the same socioeconomic mm-hmm. strata or, or, or didn't necessarily vote like we did or, or think like we did. And so I think it's just, man, it's so hard for us. It's so uncomfortable to surround ourselves with people who don't think like us, believe like us, smell like us. It's mm. that's just part of the human experience. Um, and and but I also think that that's the gospel application because I think we see the push and the the movement in the New Testament, you know, with Jew and Gentile being united, and that new man that's created in Ephesians two is the church, right? It's the mm-hmm. that we have an opportunity. Uh, to push past those things, but I think we have reg- uh, you know relegated that kind of talk to categories outside of 
gospel influence. And I certainly, you know, there's a, there's a good debate there about, okay, is that kingdom, is, is that the gospel? Is that, but I, I don't think we say, res, re, you know, racial re, reconciliation is the primary um, gospel message. I think it's, you know, that we are saved by grace through faith. That's the gospel message. But the implications of that is that the church would seek to reconcile um, just as we've been reconciled. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like we've separated it from um, gospel work and we've relegated it uh, to groups who focus on that. And then white churches just love to give money to that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we write the check and that's a lot easier than, you know, kind of talking to our neighbor. Yeah, that's that's a good word. Hey, last question. You also talk quite a bit about leadership. If if you could give advice or just you know, so one piece of advice to say a young pastor, church planner, or church leader, uh, what would you say to him? I would say um, get in professional counseling mm. as soon as they can, and and you know, obviously we have different views on counseling, but I think the thing that I'm seeing in myself and you know, and, and all the young leaders is a lack of self-awareness mm. uh, with regard to um, how they relate to uh, God in, you know, their family of origin issues, how they relate to God in failure and success. And a lot of those things, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be a professional counselor. It could be a good biblical counselor, somebody with insight that can hold a mirror up and help you kind of get a, do a deep dive on who you are and why you are who you are. And obviously then the answer being uh, helping you actualize uh, your potential as a person who is in Christ. So there's all kinds of great training, all kinds of great little snippets I could give. But if I could just, I mean, if I could just say, Hey man, fly the flag, I'm going to put ads out in every Christian publication. I would just say that get somebody with insight into your life uh, as soon as you can so that you uh, do not uh, shortchange yourself, your family, and your ministry. Because at the end of the day, uh, who you are on the inside comes out. And the sooner that you can start getting a, a hold of that, before you have success, before you have ministry pressure, the better it's going to be for everyone and the more glory it's going to bring, bring to Jesus. Mm. That's such a great word. Thank you, man. I appreciate it coming on, on the podcast and encourage people to go out and get your book, uh, Dude's Guide to Marriage. Great stuff. It's great to be here, man. I just uh, love what you guys are doing and and, uh, glad to be on the team. Well, I want to thank my friend Darren Patrick for that great conversation. Even though he's a Cardinals fan and I'm a Cubs fan, the gospel still brings us together. But what a great conversation. I encourage you to get his book, The Dude's Guide to Manhood. If you enjoyed this podcast, uh, would you send us an email? wayhome at erlc.com or go to iTunes and write a review for us. If you would like to listen to past episodes, you can go to danieldarling.com and click on the podcast page and find all of them there. Also, don't forget to sign up for the weekly. You can sign up on my website, danieldarling.com by clicking on the link. But for now, thank you for listening to the Way Home podcast. The Way Home is recorded and produced by Gary Lancaster. Research is conducted by David Clausen and scheduling is handled by Marie Delph. The Way Home is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Thank you.